0: This is Thomas DePoen.
1: This is Max.
0: This is Kevin Hamm.
1: Hey, this is Jake Cook.
2: Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box.
0: So, uh, many of us ran some games at uh, the 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 gen con and then i was crazy enough to come back to my hometown and volunteer to run 12 more hours of delta green at another local convention called necronomicon so i've actually run 24 hours with delta green in august 2019 and that's actually about as much as i care to run in a month in real life but uh having said that i think uh i i will say that uh i've had some ups and downs running delta green games online um sometimes people don't show up or you don't get a game filled and it can be kind of disappointing or it can just kind of beat you down as a handler when you want to run something and not everyone else is excited for you, but running a day straight, uh, a day straight ish of double green in person with uh, 15, almost, almost 30 people who just really wanted to play and had a good time. Almost in every game was uh, really revitalizing. I think. Yeah.
3: If it weren't for the fact that it costs thousands of dollars and, lots of time to go to do logistics and other bullshit. I would only run convention games because wow, it's so much more fun than running games online.
0: I mean, what, why is that? I mean, I, I had, I had new players. I had players who had been playing forever and, and even have their own, uh, students pseudo successful podcasts about the, the world we play in. So why, why was the con game so much better?
3: Cause I never once had to yell at anyone to pay attention or please, for the love of God, do something.
1: It's a investment. It's what it is. You mentioned it earlier. You got all this time that you put into it and actual money that you pay to go to a con game. Well, is it? Cause I think
0: it's an in-person thing. Yeah. It's, so, it's also true. Cause one of the things I noticed is, uh, I'm going to use last things last an example, because I feel like we can spoil that pretty freely without offending anyone. Um, well, what
2: if someone is listening, hasn't played the introductory scenario to Delta green. That's in the quick start rules.
0: Well, I'm sorry.
2: Stop listening now, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, A lot of the fun of that game comes from as a handler giving them some information and then just sitting back and letting them, you know, argue with each other, uh, which across the table, everyone can do. You can have two conversations going on, they can factionalize, be really good. Online, sometimes you can't get that. So, what in in person, the handler being quiet, letting the players think and deliberate and go through things is action. Online is dead air. And that's when you start saying things like, all right, what, what are we doing? What's next?
3: I like convention games. Having only ever run three at Gen Con, I think my players were great. And I do think that barrier to entry is a big part because if someone goes through all that bullshit to get in that room with you, then it's because they are interested in the game. And I had people who had never played before and they said they really enjoyed it. And that made me super happy because it meant that I'd give them a good positive introduction. Oh, absolutely. But uh, the level of enthusiasm is great. One thing that I think makes convention games different is that the players are more willing to take risks and to do bold things because they aren't so worried about consequences of their actions or they consider the consequences to be fun rather than something to be avoided with half an hour or two hours of planning
0: yeah i was i was originally going to say that con games have lower expectations but that's not true they just have different expectations uh so as a handler i have if, if i've set up a uh a, a, a long narrative for players to play through and so it's a campaign where we meet every other friday then i would feel bad if i cut like two hours of content just to finish that night um i would just move it to the next session but in a con game i don't feel bad cutting here adding here padding here killing a player for dramatic effect whatever because everybody's kind of there for that one chunk uh, of time so i think it's like a different expectation which i really like
3: i think that one thing, which we did a good job with at our in our Gen Con squad, but we can still improve on is the pre-generated characters that we give players. I think that one thing I noticed was how if you and this is something that goes all the way back to big man Gary Gygax who noticed this with, is that if you give players characters that are slightly more powerful, they'll be bolder, they'll be more adventurous. And in the end it probably won't save them if they've seriously get into trouble. So it's not like you're depriving yourself of anything.
0: One thing I noticed, so we took kind of like uh, the, the Discord from the net of the upper Discord. I don't want to say greatest tips. We just took some of our own characters and some of our friends' characters that have been kind of road hard, put away wet. We gave them a little extra sanity back and maybe took out some really too powerful stuff. But for the most part, people played, uh, for example, like someone played one of my... Favorite character is a guy named Saphir. Somebody played one of, one of Jake's characters, a guy named Salt.
3: Well, Kevin, are you sure you could say that on the podcast?
0: Yeah, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> that person was weird, wrong. Um, I'm, but I'm what was glad you're so... Every single guy. person
2: who played Gagnon played it like Melon. Yeah. 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 Well, that,
3: that was so, it's so true for, for Absolutely. listeners we started we started with the pre-gens from night at the opera that were made by the people because it was it was it was us and then it was a couple of other other users who were collaborating with us on this and we so we started with the pre-gens and then we we e- gave each of them a descriptive text that explained how to use all their abilities and what kind of personality they should have and what we found was that they played the characters exactly like the person who created them would play them
2: every single gerard player described themselves as a lawyer with a gun i was like yes I don't. I think I wrote that on there, though. It's a the thing.
1: There was uh, Lima who was paranoid about uh, proto matter people, and everyone really played at that paranoia angle at my tables, and it was fun because I found ways, uh, even on scenarios that didn't necessarily have that in there, I still like lied about it, like uh, just made the spray not like because it was supposed to detect like pro proto matter uh, from you know i forget the source U- of the Safla or something like it? anyways i it was just basically anything unnatural i let it like i let like the, the player chose to engage with that so i would make something up for it like oh, this this magic this magic mushroom is definitely like not right because it, it's turning purple it's giving you a positive feedback on your test
0: i only had maybe one player who like didn't play up their character um so those that, that was pretty cool and you know every People took them in different directions. It wasn't like I had Melon Bread at every table I ran games at. But uh, there was like a hint of, of Melon Bread, which was cool. Um, and it also because melon I knew those characters might. a little bit. Yeah, because I knew the characters, um, I could throw something at them that um, kind of gave them a little bit of a character moment, even though they didn't know the characters either. So that was, that was fun. It wasn't just the dungeon crawl. There was a little bit of kind of you know role playing, which, which was nice.
3: The one thing that I will say making the characters powerful is great because it makes the players willing to do stupid things and get into trouble. The one downside I found with that is I think we had a few too many characters that were a bit too good at killing people. We had too many characters that had a very high chance to hit with firearms and adaptation to violence. Like one one thing I was thinking about because I cause I, I built the ones I submitted, I built them the way I would build characters, which is pretty min-maxed. So Gerard is the lawyer with a gun. He's Department of Justice, obviously Inspector General, and so he has a shotgun and the shotgun adds plus twenty to hit and then he puts a holocyte on that. So that adds plus twenty to hit. So he's hitting in ninety percent. And uh, similarly, Gagnon is hitting at ninety percent with the carbine because he's got seventy percent firearms and hollow sight, and she's adapted to violence. And I think Saphir is similar. Saphir very high chance to hit, adapted to violence. So I'm thinking maybe if we do that next time, we might want to back off on the total murder machines. We can still have characters that are pretty powerful or like pretty you know built built to to like be able to do stuff, but we might just back off on the um, unstoppable murder machines
0: why I'm not I'm not sure it, well, I mean I didn't run, run into that as, as a problem but not because I had too many murder machines um, I think you might have described the only ones that were really a little broken um, right but they got taken like, they got
3: picked every single session
0: yeah but I mean every game I still had a few characters who weren't murder machines who had to find a smart way around things um, so it was good to have them to fall back on um, but I mean the we did not pick these characters with an eye for balance. We picked them with an eye for our favorite character. So there's probably a good, we could probably make a balance pass uh, in general if we're going to keep using the same, you know, eight, nine, ten or whatever. Um, I I do want to say big ups to Jabril for the just sick, kick ass character sheets he put together that look, you know, uh, they took the cover sheet I designed, which I just stole blatantly from a real top secret cover sheet. Um, And there were some rules in the back and they opened up like a booklet. So that was. I had comments all around almost every game saying, like, oh, these are cool. You know, this is a really new way to present it. Or, oh, these are the characters? Wow. So it really took cool. me
3: 45 fucking years to take all the, the data and put them in the
0: sheets. Well, now we don't have to do it again. Unless we're going to balance the characters, and then we do. But we'll start in January. So another thing I wanted to mention with con games. So I've run, I wrote a scenario called Stop Repo, which, uh, spoiler alert, uh, was pretty sweet. Published in, in in that old Delta Green rag, the Unspeakable Love. Excuse me, in, it's 15, not a Delta 20, Green 20. rag;
3: it's a cooler rag.
0: Yeah, exactly. Stop Rebo, work. I run it at cons for a couple of reasons. One, um, selfish, I like it. Um, two, it's very modular that you can you can take away or t- or add parts very rapidly to make your make it fit the length. But so I've run it. I want to say f- you know two twice online, once in person for some local friends, and th- at, at three cons. So I've gotten to the point where I kind of know what beats I want to hit. You know, I know that they're going to have an interaction with, with a cop. It's going to set them on edge. I know after they find the explosive, I'm going to give them a chance to, to maybe want to use it. So I've kind of got these story beats down, and then they decide how they get there, but I know what, what I may hit them with. Um, and I kind of feel like I like ran like the perfect stop repo game at Necronomicon because I've kind of honed it. Um, So that was really fun and really rewarding, and hopefully my players enjoyed it. Well, they said they did, so hopefully they weren't lying to me. So I guess I was trying to say a con game can be good for... Online, you can only play test the game so many times before the same players are around. But a con game, you have new people all the time, so you can really get a fresh set of so eyes. Wait,
1: on you you telling me that you're using cons as an opportunity to play test your scenario that's already been
0: published. Well, it got thinking. I wonder if I should write like a, a redux, not a redux, but just like, hey, here are some tips. Like here's here's an example because the the scenario is written very like take, take these take these things. And add them to these things, and add them to these things, and shake, shake them up, and you have a scenario. So I could write like, here's like an idealized version that works. If you don't want to make your own, you know, here are the things you use, and here are the story beats. Like for example, one of the things I perfected: the players need to find a jeep that's, that's that's been rolled over and damaged in in a lot full of other cars. So when I write the, I hand write the note for for about the jeep, and I write the word jeep upside down, and every time the players are like, is that say that's a door what is that i may have the handwriting is still killer and then finally without a fail someone from the other side of the table is like no it's jeep upside down and they're like that's weird wait have any of these jeeps rolled over like it's it's like watching them get like follow the breadcrumbs is always so fun so it's like such a cool moment
1: do some cool clues like that because i remember one time there was a gps or not a gps a latitude longitude coordinate and like that was also my game yeah that was good I forget what you did with it. Was it upside down or was it backwards or Um, something?
0: No, it was written like a phone number. It was written like two phone numbers. Um, So people thought they were that, but they didn't work out. They didn't have enough digits, but it had like the parentheses and the dashes.
3: Did you ever once have a player solve that puzzle?
0: Um, That, that, no. no. I was on the cusp of solving it. You were close. The first time I ran it, people got really close. Um, But that one, I always allow for some. I think, Jake, in your case, I let you lean on one of your bonds. Who was in like the the national intelligence community Army or, something. Single core or something? So I mean, yeah. I've never had to give the players a clue outright, but they've had sometimes they've had to have a helping hand, which is fine.
3: Kevin, I'm gonna say that uh, I've kind of come around to your position on the unspeakable oath because you remember I kind of pushed back with you when we did that recording session, and I was just thinking about it today, and I realized I've been waiting for like a year or two now to be able to submit shit, and the announcement that it's coming back is that no, actually you can't.
0: Yeah, and that. I mean, you have some, so you produce kind of at a pro- prolific rate. It's not even
3: because I think my shit's that great, just because I've been waiting with bated breath because I keep, I kept hearing, we'll have submissions yeah. open up soon enough. Yeah, but I then mean, now that it's open, it's like the, the first thing that they say is actually the thing you care about isn't there.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I will say that I think you have uh, a handful of outstanding scenarios. So that's like of publishable material. Uh, so I hopefully it becomes something you can do at some point and get them published. Yeah, we'll see. So are, are there anything... Is there anything... Uh, not negative, because I feel like we've had a pretty positive vibe and that's good and rare for us, but are there any downsides to con games or any things to be wary of?
1: Uh, uh, you never uh, know who might show up at your table is the thing. I didn't have anyone come around and stink up the place with like a bad attitude or like bad player habits or anything, but the possibility does exist.
3: I think one downside is that you cannot run um scenarios that depend too heavily on either having a small number of players or having like a player gets singled out for special treatment like i, I love deep one wedding i loved running that but i would not run it again because there's too much of one guy getting lots of stuff to do and everyone else having to wait patiently kind of like wormwood arena
0: uh well I feel like they fixed that but we beat that up uh, let me ask you this with keep one wedding if you made the if you made the the wedding person an NPC uh but did it in such a way that they were basically just they had just enough character that so they didn't actually tell the players what to do and they were kind of along for the ride they had to be kind of protected and shepherded would it still be fun for the players uh, I or think would it would it be fun for the
3: players much? but it would eliminate all of my favorite moments from that scenario
0: yeah uh, so in the game that so uh, adam scott glancy and Arc dream and Jan ran a game for the three of us who were running delta green games at necronomicon uh and it was really fun and i won't say too much about it but in it we were playing military characters and one of the potential characters was, was a lieutenant who's in charge and he said hey i i don't want any of you to play the lieutenant i want to try this because he wanted to see if it would work so he made the lieutenant an npc but made them just bumbling enough that we made all the decisions and i like i had to be like all right delta, you'd like Someone's gonna put a grenade through the window. You need to like, like, let's go outside now. Come with me, but not so. They weren't just the paper. They didn't do nothing. Their actions caused us to to do things, and we had to kind of look out for them. But it wasn't like they weren't there. But they also didn't overshadow us by having one player have to be like, "Well, I'm the lieutenant, and I, and I pull rank." And I, you know, I mean, that didn't happen. So I thought that was a really cool way to do it, uh, and I was surprised it worked. Honestly,
2: I don't remember if we've discussed it on the show or not, but I do know that that was something that I have said is a way to get around what I call the rogue trader problem, where you play a game like rogue trader or um, what, what's the new Star Trek one called? Star Trek adventures where the format dictates that there is a main character who has authority over the others. So what you do is you make him an NPC who just does whatever the group wants.
0: It has to be done in such a way where the players don't feel like they're just making the decision with the lieutenant. There were points in our game where we were like, all right, LT, I'll tell you, like, what do you want to do next? And he'd be like, well you know, let's, let's go over that ridge. And then the Marine gunner would be like, hey, why don't we go around the ridge? Like, so that felt kind of organic. Rather than just being like, the lieutenant doesn't exist. he's You know, he's not there. You do, you're you making your own decisions. He tells us a fan the, line line the officer to listen
2: to the advice of his men.
0: Yeah. Fucking yeah, butter bars, sure. am I right? Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, uh so one of the things Glancy is well known for is his scenarios are usually very well researched uh, and very historically uh, reasonable and, and accurate. Some might say too much, but I got to throw a little uh, Coast Guard um, signal man knowledge in terms of semaphore and flashing light signals and how that would have worked back in uh, the end of World War One. And I was like, boom, got him. Made, made me feel good. I
2: don't know what that is, but I never semaphore I didn't like.
0: What? That are, was a real stretch. What
1: are some other scenarios Almost that you guys the enjoy? You
0: do when you hold your arms out with the flags. Yeah, I get it. It's that semaphore. See, that's funny. We're doing
1: vexology here.
0: No, those signal flags aren't vexillological.
1: You're right. I I stand corrected. Anyway,
0: right. I think you were trying to make some sort of. Report. I was.
1: I was trying to move the conversation forward oh, uh, by you? asking. How dare you? By asking, what are some other good scenarios to run at cons?
3: Like some of our scenarios are just do any scenarios?
1: scenarios. Yeah, the death green. I
0: think. I mean, I I like last things last, and I I said this a I, th- I feel like a thousand times, and I, I tacked a shotgun scenario called metamorphosis onto it. Uh, gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, uh, there's there's a there's a bunch of published stuff I wouldn't run. I know Black Sat got ran a couple times at Gen Con. And I feel like that you need more time to get really into it and really sell the characters. So I feel like that it's might not work great.
1: Solid like t- 10, 15, 20 minutes you have to spend just reading your characters' like biography and like
0: knowing how to play them. I feel like the strength in Black Sat is. You, the fact that you can spend a lot of time in the early stages getting to know the characters, realizing that you're on this mission that's going to suck, trying to figure it out. And I feel like in a con game, you have no time to kind of hit those kind of nuanced points. You just need to like bang, bang, get through training, get to the launch, get into the ship, and do stuff. So I feel like it would suffer. I haven't run it, but I also wouldn't run it. Um, I think any, any sandbox... One of my
1: favorites is Sentinels of Twilight. And that's what you were saying is a sandbox. It's a very good sandbox.
0: So I was gonna, I was gonna say, I think Sandbox One's actually worse to run at a con, but I mean, why does Sandbox really? a con that work? Yeah,
1: um, it's good because like you can run it almost entirely as written. The only thing I would do is um, speed up the briefing portion of it. Uh, Tom gave me that suggestion, and i ran run with it every time and worked pretty well. Of just having them in a car with Wi-Fi connectivity, barreling down some dirt road in the park, headed towards the site, uh, and. The reason you can run it as is is because there's specific text in there for do this to speed up the game, do this to slow down the game, and all the little options they give you there are really interesting. So it turns out, like every time I've run that as a con game, it's never gone the same way twice.
0: Yeah, I was. So I was gonna say. Um, so that doesn't sound as sandbox focused. To
1: be, it's a focused sandbox.
0: Like when when I like to so like love run the ice, one of my favorite scenarios. Um, but it's sandboxy in in the fact that. You have a bunch of different ways you can go, and and everything kind of leads you down a path. But you can go multiple different houses, and you can investigate uh, a guy who's frozen, and there's a there's another cop involved. So you can get kind of down these side tracks. And in a con game, it can be hard to steer back to the main narrative without making it really obvious. So that's why I like something like like Last Things Last, where it's really just you know story beat, story beat, story beat, and you know the characters, you know, and the players do a lot of a lot of the lifting.
3: You have to be very aggressive at convention games about turning players off shit that'll just waste their time. Uh, so, when I was running uh, The Beauty of the White Ape Woman Must Not Perish from the Earth, uh, the player, I, because of like one thing I mentioned, the players all assumed immediately that the museum heist was an inside job and they should investigate the security guard. And so I had to immediately tell them, no, this guy is just incompetent. You've worked with a lot of incompetent people and you think he's one of them. Like, that was a completely reasonable thing for them to, for them to suspect, but it just, there was no content there. And there was not really a great way that I had to tie it back into the interesting stuff. So I was pretty aggressive about just saying, hey um, good thought but this is not the adventure I prepared for you today
0: yeah I, I give a little briefing in the beginning of, of every con game and I should actually I, I should really probably do it before every game but you know uh, you know who I am a little bit about Delta green is I give them the real high level stuff so that if they haven't played it before they understand kind of what their role is standing orders but then I, I always say there's like two parts of the social contract I want to be upfront about I say one, It's very prudent if you're staking if you're, you know, investigating a house to leave someone outside for safety. That's a very prudent tradecraft move, but it sucks to be the person left outside. And we've talked about this. I said, I will never punish you for not having someone wait outside. You might get ambushed in another way, but I won't do it like that. So you never need to leave someone in the car, leave someone outside the door, whatever. I'll give you a chance. And then two, I said if if you're going down a path where there's just no content prepared, you know, in a in a longer form game, i roll with it. But if I feel like I need to, I might just give you the timeout sign and be like, hey, there's nothing there. Move on. And and, and I didn't have to do that anytime, But I think they appreciated the fact that I wouldn't let them just flounder in this you know, un, unmade content world where the DLC hasn't been installed yet. Uh, so that was nice. And I, if you set it up front, then they don't feel like you're trying to railroad them because they understand why you're doing it. Uh, I do, I do want to say I had an interesting moment and in shout outs to uh, a guy named uh, Ray Tillinghast uh on who's commented on the show before um so i sit down at the table and he sits down and he's talking to another guy about the podcast the other guy runs and ray is like hey do you got there's this podcast about delta green called the green box like they're great you should check them out and uh, i thought about just letting it hang there for a while like w- waiting for a good moment but i i couldn't so i was like "Ah, oh, that's me and then he's like tom <laughs> no
1: <laughs> nice had a a one-in-five chance of getting it right.
0: So shout-outs to uh, Tom for being the most recognizable member of the podcast.
1: It's funny because some of the Europeans say that they get me and Tom mixed up. Like some of the Europeans over on the Night of the
2: Opera servers say that me and Tom sound alike. So Tom slash Jake and the guy who talks a lot as the most recognizable uh, host of the podcast. Yes. The guy who talks a lot. I like that title changes uh, between episodes, though. Did we did we explain this last time in any
3: of the uh, we, must, yeah, yeah. We, must yeah. have, we
2: must have talked about it in the Gen Con episode. I agree. We, we did.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's so it's, it was it was cool to get recognized at Gen Con, but I feel like that's a pretty high likelihood because it's everywhere. But to be recognized that well, the smaller con was also pretty cool. Uh, so and also I didn't even get recognized, it was just somebody talking about our work, which is cool. So let that be a lesson to you listeners if you like what we do and you comment on it on our internet things then you might recognize this in real life and feel like a rock star. We're going to condition our listeners to interact with us.
3: One thing I found at the convention, uh, so, I, I, at, so at conventions, um, I think that you should be pretty upfront about the kind of content that your game has in it. And I ran a scenario called my big fat deep one wedding, because that is a scenario that I ran that, that it was quite popular with people. And so I thought it'd be. Kevin kept telling me to run it at the convention, and so I put up front that there might be like weird sex shit in the scenario because that's something that happens in Deep One Wedding. But all the players thought it was really funny, and they were like, "Yeah, we we're, you know, we wouldn't have signed up if we weren't okay with this." And I was like, "Well, well, you know, th- this this is interesting for me because I always like there's there's certain stuff that I wouldn't do in a convention game even if I had it like signposted ahead of time. But I think that having no knowing that that um People are okay with like a little spice in the game. Does open up a few more options for what I might run in the future.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to to, to bring that up ahead of time. instead so that if they're one, if if they realize that they got in too far, they're you know over their head and they're not cool with it, that they have time to find another game and you have time to find another player. Or if they you know if they tell you you can you can cut it out.
3: I want to say that when I first walked into the room on the first day. I was a bit nervous because there was a table running a godlike game, which is another one of Arkham's games about um, superheroes in world war two. And it was a child playing at the table. And I was like, shit, did they list all the Delta green events as 18 plus, but they did. So that was just me freaking out.
0: Uh, something that I found was a problem at both Gen Con or a little bit less than Gen Con, but a Gen Con definitely an economic con was it's very loud. So just every game ends up being louder. So, I didn't have any players who were like real quiet, but some were a little quiet. And I had to kind of strain and like. Oh yeah, no, I was. Again.
3: I was definitely um, having to. So that was kind of too bad. There would was also it was a
1: it was a lot better this year because there weren't the people playing like fucking werewolf or whatever right outside of the
0: door. Right outside the door, yeah, yeah. But uh, and, and Necronomicon was worse because we were basically in a big ballroom with tables, so it echoed a lot. Um, and, you know, it didn't, it didn't have any major effects. It just would have been nicer to have... I mean, the only way to solve it would be, like, private rooms. I don't know how you would do that, but it'd be nice to split things up a little more, try to get people to use inside voices. I don't know.
3: There was a dude on, on Good Friends of Jackson Elias who said he straight-up won't go to Gen Con anymore because it's just crowds and noise constantly. I mean, that's just things that he goes out of his way to avoid.
1: I mean, some people got, like, uh, sensory processing disorders. But if, yeah, if you don't, don't or... want to
3: fuck with that, then absolutely avoid Gen Con because it is like pretty much both of those things constantly yeah
0: i mean i don't have sensory processing issues and even every now and then i had to take a step away from the giant crowd just be like all right what am i trying to think about doing here right or whenever we left a restaurant for everybody
3: (laughs) yeah whenever we left the restaurant it was like holy shit i can hear
0: with respect to
2: noise and speaking up uh, I, but on the third day I was starting to, I thought my, my voice was starting to go, but I was actually feeling the onset of, of con crud. So like my, my throat was all awful and stuff and I was starting to feel it. So I was like, all right, guys, just, if, if you need me to speak up, let me know. Cause I'm having a hard time kind of making myself heard here. And then everyone's fine with it. As far as advice that I would distill from that for running con games, the very fact that if you're going to be running games at a convention, you're going to be talking for a couple of hours every day and that kind of wears you out some good choices for con games would be scenarios that are very player driven where the players have things to do and discuss with each other and argue over so uh i'm going to take some heat for this but honestly i think artifact zero is a great uh convention game at least the way that i run it i remember you telling this story the way that i run it is you all get to the helena fbi office you go into the basement Here's a fucking file cabinet. You get a handout. You get a handout. You get a handout. You get a handout. Here's six more handouts. Have fun. I'll be over here. And they get to then discover the mystery themselves. And and they go, oh, what does this one say? Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, here's the missing guy. Okay. Yeah, that's what he looks like. Oh, here's one of the skeletons. Uh, Wait, what? Hang on. Give me that one again. Wait, shit. give me that one. Oh, shit. Um, Another good scenario that's player driven in that respect is uh, Bestow by uh, Shotgun Scenario by Ross Payton. Yeah. The map. Well, yeah, yeah, that one's fun because once the players start drawing the map, and I always say you might want to draw a map here. Once you get, they get to about the third or fourth room, someone takes the map and goes, "Wait, what?"
1: Yeah, and uh, Russ Russ loves those maps, so if you yeah. do it, uh take a picture of it, and, like, should take it, a picture send it, it to Ross Love something. it. Yeah,
0: um, that's a good point. Uh, handouts are great for a con game. So I ran and Necronomicon. I ran uh, Sub Stop, Stop Repo, which has a few handouts. The list and. Uh, just the list actually. So the list of vehicles they need to need to find. Um, but that I, I put on a couple of sticky notes and handed it out. Um, last things last has two handouts, but one of them is kind of controversial. Players are going to be reading it over and over again. And then observer effect has several. Uh, so what actually what, what they did is at the other at a nearby table there were these like weird hat clips with like flowers in them. So somebody grabbed a bunch of them and, and clipped all the maps and the dossiers to the front of my, of the DM screen so they could look at it and like. Uh, make a decision on what they were doing, where they were going to be and stuff. So if you can provide, if you can run a scenario with a lot of handouts, it gives some of the players who aren't in that scene right there, uh, something to peruse or think about or look over or whatever, engage on, which is nice. Do we have any other thoughts about con games? I'm good on con games. I I just, my parting shot for con games is if you, if you have a chance to go to a con and play in a game, go for it and, you know, bring it up mind, have a good time, but definitely if you have a chance to run something, even if you just run last things last, The the generic starter scenario, you're going to get people who are not new to Delta Green who are going to want to play it, want to have fun, and it's going to make you feel better about your life.
3: Con games are fun. Thank you to everyone who played in my con games. And thank you to everyone who ran con games as well.
0: Oh, and one other quick thank you. Thank you for Arc Dream for actually giving shit about your GMs who run games for you. Because they really go go out of their way to give us swag bags with stuff for their players, stuff for us. Like they. They have said time and time again that without us, players wouldn't be playing their game. And I appreciate that. And I don't think that you get the same level of cool stuff from like, uh, whoever it is pathfinder. So this is kind of a freeformish topic. It's come up a few times, uh, and it's come up. I know, uh, Max and your uh, running games, and those come up in my just triaging the amount of games I play or run or whatever. But uh, so, so there's only so much time most people have to to play a tabletop game or run a game or write a scenario or or you know put it into this hobby that we all enjoy. Uh, most of us have real jobs or full time students or whatever the case is. So. For the purposes of this discussion, I'm gonna I'm gonna use an average of like let's say you have time for maybe one game a week or one game every two weeks, you know, in like a four five hour block, whatever that is, whatever that is. So how do you how do you maximize your enjoyment, you know, and, and fun having playing that game while also you know expanding into find new find new things that you may enjoy or find things that. You know, you try new games you want to play. How do you find, you know, the best kind of fun that suits how you want to play? Well, it uh, kind of depends on who you're playing with, right?
3: Yeah, I think the best uh, step you can take is to start screening your players.
0: Yeah, definitely playing with a group of people you are comfortable with and like and who, who share your share your ideals uh i think it's key so what i what
3: i did on night at the opera is i thought of all the behaviors that make me not want to run delta green anymore and i put them in a big list and i said hey if you think you're going to do this please find someone else to play with because i don't want to play with you
0: yeah and just for purposes for our listeners that's stuff like you know being too tired to play one gun everything down all the time stuff like that right
3: well main the main one is is if you're just going to sit there and i'm going to have to scream at you to do something
0: That doesn't doesn't sound sound very fun
3: no, it's one of the reasons why I started feeling just completely drained and just hating running games.
0: So in the in the in the max world, you know, you were not having fun. Um, do you think your players were having fun in the games you were running before you started screening? Do you have a feel for that?
3: Um, I'm pretty sure that they were enjoying themselves, but I mean, as much as I enjoy giving other people like fun, I if if I'm if if it's not fun for me, then I kinda don't care whether other people enjoy it. I'm not doing this as if, like a form of self-sacrifice.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's you kind know, of the point I was going to make is that, you know, you might be in a group, uh, you, you may think to yourself, I'm playing with these four other people and they're all having a good time and I'm not, so I should just tough it out or, you know, why, what should I change? But maybe there have maybe been cases good, where
3: within, within a game I was not having fun, but I stuck like running stuff because the, the players were pursuing an avenue that I found really uninteresting or they had just really bogged down in, in, uh, you know, a combat encounter that they triggered themselves, but that was going to take uh, an inordinate amount of time to grind out. But then once they got through that, they've got to a much more satisfying resolution. And so it is important to be willing to suffer through things that you're not necessarily hugely fond of in order to get to a better payoff later on.
0: And I think that that can kind of come, you know, with Night of the Opera, we have the the downside, but it can also be a benefit of having multiple we have a large pool of players, so you almost never have the same group of people every time. So this advice is a little less useful if you have, you know, the same four people you've been playing with for a long time. You know, in in space where you can kind of know what people are doing, you know that maybe this avenue isn't as fun, but I know that you know Joey really loves it, so let's let's make sure he has a good time, and then when I want to do my thing, he'll make sure I have a good time, that kind of thing. Um, that, that's a little harder to do in kind of pick up the pickup game, open table world just circular back scratching all the way around. Yeah. Uh and one of the things that brought this up is that uh I was trying to somebody was asking me if I wanted to join a Dungeons and Dragons game uh and I do really enjoy just the old school style I mean modern system but just Dungeons and Dragons just hack and slash fight stuff but I was trying to explain or the more he explained his current campaign just the less it sounded like fun but I was like, well, obviously this person is really enjoying it. So are his players. It's just not for me. So I can I, I thought to myself, like, what do I really want in an ideal like Dungeons and Dragons world? I mean, I don't want super serious roleplay, but I also don't want like hilarious memes. I cast Magic Missile of the darkness all the time. So I want like a world that I can interact with and have some fun. But I also want to be able to play like one of my favorite characters as a black metal bard. So I want to be able to have that level of fun, but not like, inane memory, but also not, I don't want to have to, like, put on a fake accent and roleplay everything my character does. So for D&D, like, I found that kind of niche of what I enjoy, uh, which I think has helped me decide what games I want to play. And I guess the reason for bringing it up on the podcast is just because I feel like a lot of people out there seem to either stick it out in sessions or, in, or you should always stick it out in the session you're in. Let me just caveat that. If you're not having fun, deal with it after the fact. Those there's, uh, there's like horror stories of someone, like, getting up in the middle of a
1: game at a convention and just, like, leaving everyone else there because, like, uh, you know, just not having fun or whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't fault people for that, I guess. But I guess it's kind of a jerk move unless, you know, something truly offensive has happened uh, just to get up and quit because you're not having that much fun. I You know, I really don't know how I feel about it, whether I'd hold that against someone or not. But.
0: I think I would uh, because if, I mean the person has every right to not play with this group of people again but i feel like leaving the middle of it just makes it worse for everyone else um i mean i i have had games where an hour in we we've all decided hey this isn't cool all of us are not enjoying it let's do something different That that's different but if like three or four people are loving it and you're hating it sometimes i think you know when we talked about that social contract between players and dungeon masters you kind of need to just stuff it out for one session Again, unless there's something egregious going on. But the, the thing, so the thing that, that kind of made me want to talk about this was, uh, or the, the reason I thought we might be able to help people find their kind of fun also was in a post on a forum that I'm a part of about Delta Green where somebody was talking about how they. Uh, they thought they liked the idea of Delta Green, but when they read through the agent's handbook, they just couldn't really, they don't think their group would enjoy the, the crushing cosmic horror and the fact that you're always losing and humanity's doomed and nothing matters. And when a bunch of people in the, in the thread, myself included, said, hey, you can run whatever you want, you know, you can have a game that's more uh, burn after reading, you'd have a game that's more fun where the players do have some wins under the belt and save the day, that's totally fine. I don't think the person kind of knew they could do that. But, you know, play play a game you enjoy. If you got to tweak something to make it a game you're going to enjoy, then do it. So hopefully he plays. We've talked on the show. I think I actually missed that session, much to my chagrin. But we talked about the kind of Delta Green we all like to play. And there, I know there are some differences between all of our styles. So that's another example of kind of finding your own kind of fun. But I think it you know, kind of boils down to figuring out what you enjoy and trying to find a group that does that
1: or else catering for the group that you play with um like uh i think one time i was playing or i was running uh the game of uh fifth edition dungeons and dragons for um uh my wife a friend of hers and like one other person and they just straight up weren't enjoying uh dungeons and dragons because you know if you don't already approach it like having a good idea of like what a fantasy game is about, you might be like a little lost, or you might not understand exactly what you can do. You know, casting spells can be kind of weird for someone who doesn't really um, have that kind of exposure to that sort of like media or those sort of things. Um, so we just switched it up. We started playing, you know, Delta Green because it's easier to run a game that's in a modern setting where you know i can say all right well we're going to play this game it's going to take place in atlanta georgia and like everyone here has been to atlanta georgia at the table so you can imagine you know what it's like to play a game in the, the setting where it's the world that we live in and we know what's possible and we know what limitations are for society and everyone did um, enjoy things a little bit more and they were able to kind of get into character and play a role-playing game a little yeah, bit that, more that's easily that's
0: really good it's actually really good advice for you know if- some some of us have been playing role playing games since we were young, you know, little itty bitty people. So we've had a lot of experience, that we can kind of guess. And maybe we, we hear a new type, new type of game. A good example is like a, a board game type I really enjoy is worker placement. So when someone tells me a game is a worker placement game, you know, where you put your people meeples down and they do they do stuff every turn, like I'm in. But if I'd never played a game like that, if someone said it's a worker placement game, I would have no idea. So definitely some right. good advice, I think. Uh, for people who are totally inexperienced, or only ever played D and D, or I mean, I just have no idea what what they're getting into, I've definitely heard stories of people who are new to the war- new to the role playing world. They play a game with their, you know, their friend significant other, and they have bad experience, and they just like swear off forever, which is kind of tragic because there's so much, so much shit out there. So there's something for everybody.
4: That's the thing that jumps to, out to me about this. I think I'm the the babby of RPGs among all of us. So I'm just thinking, like, part of the thing is you might not know what is really the most fun for you, and you can only figure that out by just playing everything as much as you can.
1: That's really good advice. I've I've tried to expand my repertoire the last two years or so,
0: and I know what I like to play now. There's a difference between, say you've never played Delta Green, jumping into a middle of a long, like, you know, 14-session series at at session 7 and trying it out. That, you might be setting yourself up for failure because you're just... You're gonna to have to, you know, get in with that group and figure it out and learn everything. So find a find a game and tell the guy straight, tell whoever's running it straight up, or if you're running it, tell your players, hey, I never tried this. I want to try something new. It's gonna be a learning experience. Let's just see what works. And if we want to adjust stuff, you know, if we if we all decide that we want to have fake accents and really role play it, let's do it. If we hate it, let's not. So you know, be upfront about things and say, hey, I'm just trying to try this out and see what I like. That's what
1: uh, one shots are really good for trying out new games. So I think, like, a lot of uh, newer games do come with, like, the quick-fire uh, rules, the quick uh, quick rules, and also usually, like, an introductory here, like, a one-shot scenario. And that's a good model for, like, uh, RPGs to go off of because then a person can try your product out, um, see if they like it or not before they invest more heavily in it. You know, buying the rule books or buying the special proprietary dice and all that. So that... Just play more games until uh, you find something you like is another good piece of advice about finding the right kind of fun.
0: Con games are really good for that kind of thing because you can do it really quick, kind of rapid fire. Um, there's usually, at, 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 even a medium-sized con, there's all sorts of stuff getting run, and there's kind of very little expectation in terms of what you're expected to be able to do at a con game. You know, show up, get a pregen.
1: Well, the, the person running it knows the rules, too. Yeah, usually. so usually. I
3: think that, I hope. that usually con games are better than the average introductory scenario because con games are based on what the players find enjoyable rather than what the developer found enjoyable i mean that that is usually by someone who after the system's been out for a while who's had an opportunity to figure out what works and what doesn't rather than uh someone whose main experience is from playtesting and developing the system and from writing the scenario so it's a great way to try out new stuff
0: I would say, on the one hand, you want to kind of throw out your preconceived notions. On the other hand, sometimes you just know what you like and what you don't like. You know, uh, I'm the kind of person who's not not that great. I'm not an actor, so I'm not really into like. There, are, I've played in games where like everything you say, your character says, unless you hold up the op- at a character sign and stuff like that. And that's just not a level of detail I ever want to get into again. I see. I can see how like you know how it works really well if you look at like critical role and stuff that are. I mean, that's obviously kind of scripted, but still, like, it works really well. But at some point, you're going to realize you can kind of know what you're into and what you're not into. And you can start kind of trying to filter for that. But also, you know, don't close off all the don't close off all the avenues. I was kind of rambly with that one. I'm sorry.
1: One of the problems a lot of people have with Delta Green is that um, things are really lethal. Um, you know, a single roll of dice can mean that a character gets wiped off the map and then you might be sitting out for the rest of the session or, you know, rolling up a new character or, um, uh, something like that. And, um, I'm remembering now that, uh, you know, uh, a similar game called Cthulhu, they, uh, it, it had the same problem that, uh, combat could be super lethal for players. They came out with a alternate, uh, like rule set called Pulp Cthulhu that has uh, mechanics that make characters a little bit more hardier, more likely to survive a combat. Um, You know, more tools in their hands in terms of like luck points to make things more survivable or to influence dice rolls to go their way when they really need it to, sort of like a cost-benefit type thing. Um, And that's the thing about RPGs is that you can change rules um, when something isn't working for you to make it more enjoyable because some people enjoy player... Uh, character longevity and there's rules for that and you can change it yeah anything that's in the rulebook uh you as a gm can change it yeah i wish
0: uh double green uh in the rulebook at least gave you like especially on the handles guide could have been better about giving you some different ways to, to fudge things um like i mean i think i know what i would do to make the game less lethal or more longevity but i feel like someone new to the system may not know
1: what what would you do?
0: I would increase sand rewards so that th- so that ba- basically I would try to level it off. So that if you do a good job and win, you you basically either stay at stay at the sand you started at or only lose one or two rather than losing you know more. Um, and I'd probably just tweak the armor values up a little bit uh, just so that you know getting shot still sucks because it still will hurt you, but your armor is going to soak more. Um, it's probably, probably combat is a little harder to to tune, I think, but. As a GM, you can also kind of fudge that. Like if, you know, uh, if you roll a 10 and that's going to murder your player instantly, maybe cut it in half, you know, it's not a crime. You do that? You just lie to your players like that?
3: (laughs) Absolutely. I think that the uh, Pulp Cthulhu is fine, but I actually looked through the book and the, like, I think that the adventures in there are actually less interesting in a Pulp sense than most of the original Call of Cthulhu material they were just very okay. cliched and boring. And when you compare that to all the shit for the original Call of Cthulhu game, most adventures for the OG Call of Cthulhu, like the really old ones from the 80s and 90s, are basically DND modules. They have very elaborate um, like buildings with monsters and guys with guns and elaborate descriptions of traps and treasure and all that stuff, And with the assumption that players are going to basically clear them like a dungeon crawl. And I think that stuff was much more compelling and interesting than any of the material presented in the Pulp Cthulhu book.
1: Oh, that's the thing, though. It's not just uh, the scenarios that come with Pulp Cthulhu. There's also the players get tweaks to their characters, but the scenarios also get tweaked by the Pulp Cthulhu rules because it says, you know, like double the number of enemies. The scenarios themselves are modified. So you could take like the classic, uh, you know, mask of the Tepp or the horror on the Orient Express or any of the other ones you described as being like dungeon crawl style things and use them in the Pulp rules. Um, but that that was just an example of like how enough people saw a flaw with Call of Cthulhu. So the developers there gave players in handlers, GMs, a tool to change it to make it more fun. If that's the type of fun that you want to have. Off the top of my head, I know Knights Black Agent also has those rules in their system for making things either more lethal or less lethal or more exciting. I don't remember exactly what they're called, like burn...
4: Yeah, so it's burn mode, which is more about, like, stability loss and sort of, like, how isolating it is to be a spy. There's dust mode, which is, like, really lo-fi. You're in a John Le Carre novel, I guess. There's mirror mode, which is a lot more about, like, betrayal and trust between NPCs and your characters. And also it has some special PvP mechanic. And then there's just stakes mode, which I guess is the default. Like, you don't really do any of that. It's just more pulpy action, like a Bond or a Mission Impossible movie.
1: And I, I dig that because it, when you think of Knights uh, Black Asian as a genre, it's a spy thriller. But that can mean uh, one thing to one person and one thing to another. Uh, you know, someone might think James Bond. Someone might think Jason Bourne. Someone else might think Burn After Reading or something you can change the rules and it's cool when games give you the ability to do that because that is a great way to select what kind of fun you're wanting to have. Someone says, Hey, this is too easy. Then you can, you know, use one of those rule sets to make it harder or a different style or emulate a different feeling.
4: And Nightspark Agents is good about that because unlike in, pulp Cthulhu that stuff doesn't really affect character creation it's just like when you call for stability roles or the difficulty of certain tasks you're trying to do
1: um so house rules um in addition to like you know developers rules that they have for changing the scenario you know officially endorsed by them house rules can help you do that as well select your fun
0: yeah and house rules are a good that's where it's good to have a a community like a discord or a reddit or a forum somewhere and you can ask people hey what are your what are your you know what are the house rules you enjoy what do you play with you know what would you change kind of get some get some feedback that way you can kind of know what to tweak or get some advice at least
1: Delta green does have some optional rules in the agent's handbook but a lot of people knock on them um i remember one time on this show we talked about uh, there was like a Patreon set of rules for like really bad injuries that you get where, you know, you're bleeding out or, and it, it made it somewhat more complicated or uh, I, I can't remember exactly what the, the problems we point, someone pointed out with it was, but to a certain kind of player, that sort of tension might be fun or exciting and it might not be for you. Um, so as a handler, you know, you might want to identify what optional rules or house rules would be better tailored to your players. Uh, no, know, know thyself. Know thy table.
0: One of the things that a few of the systems I really like, Star Wars. Um, I've been playing some stars with that number. That's been really really scratching an itch. One of the things it does, which I think really lets you kind of collectively tell the story, um, is you know letting the players have some some narrative uh, control. So you know the one one it makes it easier to be a handler when you can be like, all right, the elevator door opens. Uh, you're on the command deck, what do you see? And then, you know, make, make the player describe it, but also engages that player unless them, you know, if in their head they have, you know, for the command deck of a ship, you know, of a starship, they have this really, you know, uh, you know, bright light, you know, Star Trek Enterprise style, you know, look to it. They can describe that. And then they're into it and they're enjoying it. And if they have a really dark and dingy, you know, Firefly style, you know, utility ship, then they can describe that. And it really doesn't matter. Uh, you just aren't, aren't engaging them. Um, and you can kind of do that with any game to some games have more of a system to it.
1: That's good because it increases player investment and buy-in. And it also gives you an idea of what they think about the game that you're playing.
0: Yeah. And also we've talked about playing to lift. That's another way to help. Um, because you can, you know, it allows you, if I know that Jake, you know, your character is an alcoholic then you know if i'm searching the building and i found the alcohol you know if i if i need you to be a little more pliable then maybe i can like hey look at this and if not maybe i can try to roll to you know put on my back really quick or something um and that also disengages people so that's another really good uh way to increase the overall level of fun i think but if you don't like that then don't do it if you're new to this and you don't have any idea what what to what to describe the bridge of the ship as then just say oh, i'm not sure Let someone else do it i've just seen a lot of uh posts and a lot of people talking and i've seen it in real world burnout groups or it seems like some people look at look at a regular game look at a regular game slot and it's like a chore if they're not enjoying it and i just never really got that uh you know you should be you should be enjoying the the time you spend playing games because you only have so much time so figure out the best way to do that and try new things and then find like-minded people and uh use systems that encourage the most kind of cross play and compatibility
4: so what happens if you're sitting at the table and the player next to you has a very different kind of fun from you and what the both of you desire and are trying to get from the game are in conflict is there any way you can try to bridge that gap
0: yeah I mean, uh, there's a couple there's a couple of things often uh, I guess I'll start with the, I'll start at one end which is maybe you two should play different games that is not the end of the world maybe you're just into different things and that's fine. Now maybe you could alternate. You could say, "Hey, you know, I know you like a really roleplay-heavy game, and I like a really gun-heavy game. So after we finish, you know, Jake's, you know, three sessions of roleplay-heavy stuff, then why don't you, why don't we do a cool gun, gun-heavy one? That's fine. Uh, but if if you're just totally in conflict and you don't see eye to eye, then." Unless you're being paid to play the game with that person, you're not required to do it, you know?
3: The reason why people fight over one game to play is because most people are not easily able to find a group of people to play with. Most people are lucky if they have a group at all. So this idea of leaving the group or or finding a different group that is more in line with what you want is 100% true, but also not very useful to normal people.
0: Yeah, that's... I mean, this, that, sometimes I, f- I feel like that's kind of a cop-out. There's a lot of, especially, you know, one, there's a lot of online play these days. I disagree completely. I think
3: that your advice is a cop-out. I think that, that it's 100% true, but at the same time, if it was easy to find a group of people that enjoyed the exact same thing that I enjoyed, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
1: I don't know, man. It's a big internet. I mean, I, I'm in a lot of different discords, and I see a lot of people playing games on different discords at different times. I think that with the internet, it's uh, maybe not too hard to find games
0: and you know even if you don't want to play the internet, um, one of the common things I always hear or I hear it often at like Gencon is people complaining about a game again like a niche game that they want to play not not being played. Well, if you run it, people will show up so if you if you run
3: it at Gencon.
0: Yeah, but like even one, if, one for the, the most part, if you run games at a local store, that's
3: not that's not true. I, I this is actually one of the reasons why I stopped going to the RPG uh, club at my at the university and when I was in graduate school because I would bring Delta Green and I'd say, "Hey, wants to play Delta Green?" And I even wanted to play Fifth. So after a while, I just like I'm not going to carry all these fucking books. And then a while after that, I was like, I'm just going to stop going because I'm not really that interested in Fifth.
1: I put a flyer up um, at my local game store to uh, see about playing. It was actually for a. Uh, one of the play tests of that scenario that we were working on. And I had like three random people show up. They'd never played Delta Green before. That was The game right.
3: store here is only um, Magic and 40K also. They don't do RPGs.
1: Yeah, the big money makers for the store too.
0: And uh, yeah, your mileage obviously varies, but I have a feeling if they only do Magic... Like, like, do they not able to play averages at all? Or they just don't run anything officially.
3: That's a good question. I don't actually know if they would even allow it because one thing that I know stores have an issue with is because stores want to drive uh, business, they will often take issue with people playing games or that are not sold or supported by the store. Like this is a thing. True. This yeah. is a thing that, that happens a lot with people who want to play older um, games, workshop specialist games. Because the they, they store employees are worried that, you know, someone, a random person who is not versed in the thing will play the game, get excited, say, hey, where can I buy this? Can I buy this here? And the store says, no, you can't because it's, no, it doesn't exist anymore. Because one of the things, one of the problems with indie RPGs is that they're kind of hideously unprofitable. So that's the reason why a lot of people will basically just keep like fifth and maybe Pathfinder on the shelf.
1: Yeah, the new the new industry does kind of want to cut out the middleman of your local game stores, unfortunately.
3: Yeah, well that's that is a thing. There's buyer. a lot about there's a lot about like RPG stores that just sucks. But the thing the value that they bring to the table is the community. And that's the main thing that's that is when those stores disappear is in danger of getting lost. It's not, you know, the paying, you know, above well well above market rate for XYZ. It's not the, uh, you know, the, the grognard that runs the place. It's the community that gets lost.
0: It's yeah. The guy who's to get this.
3: For those of you not aware, this is a reference to the Something Awful forums, which is a bad place that you should never post. Uh, I agree.
1: Why would uh, I pay $10 to have someone tell me I'm wrong when you guys do it to me for free?
3: Well, maybe we should start charging because clearly the market rate, you know.
0: S- sign up for the Green Bucks Patreon and we'll tell you how wrong you are.
3: Yeah. we'll We'll, we'll give you a 10 minute rant with a glass of whiskey.
0: Uh, yeah, do we want to say anything to close out the meandering topic of finding fun? Uh, I think
1: we had some pretty good points. I don't have anything else to say, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really just getting people to realize that they shouldn't feel locked into something they're not enjoying. But at the same time, they should also try to seek out new things they haven't tried and see what they like. Um, and, then, and then we had differing opinions on whether or not you can find what you want in your local game stores or not which i'll be fair i haven't played much in you kind of got to be the change uh, yeah yeah that's that's true that's true i mean up here i've got i got three kind of crappy game stores um which i don't really have a reason to play in person right now but if i have a feeling i could drum something up if i tried hard enough
1: i do know um for for our dream specifically you can coordinate with your local game store to reach out to our dream for like I don't know if to be promotional or not, but for them to carry the product and arrange to have like a demo at the store, because that's something I was going to do at my favorite local game store uh, sometime. So I guess, you know, maybe in that that field, it might be about being the change you want to see. Because we mentioned sometimes the stores only will carry products that are profitable for them. So you do have to kind of give them a reason for carrying the product if you want to use it
0: yeah or, or again it's a big internet find community online i bet there's people playing all the niche niche uh, games workshop games online right now Plus, it costs a lot less
1: such a low level to entry they'll really let anyone play all those weirdos over on that night at the opera server